Okay, imagine that you're driving up to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and you're right at the guardhouse there, and the guard greets you with his clipboard, and you tell him your name, and he says, I'm sorry, you're not on my list. And you say, well, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, now pretend for a minute now, I'm a presidential historian, and I've I've actually, I know more about this president than anybody alive. I've written several books on him here. And you, you take one of your books that you've written, you hand it out the, the window, and he sets his clipboard aside, and he looks at it, looks at the back side of it, and he says, very impressive. And he hands it back to you, and he says, but you're not on my list. Now imagine that you drive up, and you're coming right up to the guardhouse, and the same guard looks at you through the windshield and waves you on in because you are the son or daughter of the president. And they recognize you. The book of John, which we're going to be looking at, just captions of John throughout the next five weeks. The book of John is not about knowing about God it reveals how to know God. Not about Him. Not days and dates and not information. But to be formed in the knowledge of God. To know God directly. Immediately into the first half of the book of John, Jesus begins to present Himself into the, these four key institutions that have become sort of disconnected from the rest of life. And Jesus is speaking life back into these institutions. Wedding in Cana, marriage, he's speaking abundant life. When he, when he clears out the temple, he's reordering life. When, when he's speaking to the rabbinic tra tradition with, um, with Nicodemus, He's telling him about new life. When he's talking to the woman at the well of Jacob that represents thousands of years of tradition, he's speaking about eternal life. Jesus is making life known again. Making God known to us in a way that, that can allow us to embrace the knowledge of God, to live day to day, moment to moment, knowing God. The series is called Unveiled because God reveals himself in five different ways. We're going to be looking over the next few weeks, five different scenes from, from the Gospel of John, five ways that God makes himself known. Now, I've borrowed these labels from Nicky Gumbel. Some of you all may, may know who, uh, who that is. He uh, came up with the Alpha Course. Uh, these are the five different ways we're going to be looking at that that. that that there is a commanding scripture that speaks into our life that makes God known. That there is a compelling spirit. These are the CSs, right? CS. Commanding scripture. Compelling spirit. Uh, common sense. God reveals himself through common sense. He reveals himself through circumstance, through circumstantial signs, and through the counsel of many or the counsel of the saints. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the way that we can know God, not just about him, but know him 
personally as he's revealed himself, the ways he reveals himself. And this morning, we're going to start with commanding scripture, with, with the way that God reveals himself by our trusting in the authority of scripture. How is it that we can trust or why should we trust? Why can we trust the authority of scripture? And the answer we'll see is that it's personal. It's personal. John chapter 1. Would you follow along with me? Would you open your Bibles or regard the screens? We're going John 1, 1 through 14. Hear God's word this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were not born of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, may your word now be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Authority. Authority is not a happy word, is it, for most people? It it conjures up something like like blue lights behind you, right? Nobody wants blue lights behind them. But they like blue lights behind the guy who who just cut them off, right? We like to see that. Grace for me, law for thee, right? The IRS, when you, when you get one of those, you know, you, you start to sweat. You know, I'm even just saying IRS, it makes some people just break out into a sweat, right? But we love national security. We need authority. We, we thrive under authority. Why can we trust the scriptures as authoritative, as God's word? Why can we trust? Let's look at how we can trust the scriptures this morning, that God is revealing himself, that that his revelation of himself was witnessed in history and that you can experience it. So God revealed personally, witnessed in, in history, experienced today. That's where we're going. Let's take a look. First, God reveals himself. This is why we can trust scripture. Why can you trust the authority of it? That it speaks into your life. That, that it has its own voice in your life. It's in your ear. It's, it's, it's guiding you. It's, it's orienting you to your identity and your direction. You can trust it. Because God is revealing himself. 
personally. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. How about a human life? How much is that worth? A message wrapped in a person. See, in the person of Jesus, all of the pieces of philosophy, of history, of the Old Testament, all of the testimonies of, of all the confluence of all of the different tributaries come together into one river leading to an eternal ocean. That's Jesus. He brings all of it together. Now look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word is logos. That's the word that, that uh, the original language uses. And it's important that we, we look at this word for a minute. Logos has such rich philosophical meaning. It, it represented the tradition of, uh, but even before Aristotle, before Socrates, before Plato, it represented the idea that there's a blueprint behind the cosmos. There's a blueprint. Now, let's, let's think about what, what, what the philosophers are talking about here, that if you're going to think about what's meaningful, if you're going to think about what's a good life, or you're going to try to figure out what, what matters, then you're trying to get in touch with the design behind all things, with the blueprint behind all things. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world. They're, they're, they're the kind of people who read the directions before they put the thing together, and they're the people who just get started, right? And they try to figure out now, uh, you know, then they go back to the directions and they say, I don't think this is an H bolt. I think this is a J bolt, right? That used to be me, right? And then there were many late nights putting things together, right? You know what I'm talking about. I'm speaking in code a little bit. You know, many late nights putting things together. And I, I was converted to uh, becoming one of the uh, directions people. And I read through the directions, the instructions before I, I, I put together a grill earlier this, this summer. And uh, there were so many bolts, so many nuts. And uh, I, I, I never would, I mean, I would have had parts left over and if I hadn't read the direction. Because there's a blueprint to it. There's a design to it. There's some instructions to it. Because somebody put it together in the first place. They designed it to function in a certain way. And that's what the philosophical tradition is saying. That's what, that's what uh, Socrates and, and, and Plato and Aristotle are saying by this word logos. And then along comes John and he says, he, he was in the beginning. Through him, through him, all things were made. That there's a personality at the center, behind all the cosmos, all that we see. You know what a cosmos means? I mean, that's the universe. Behind everything you can measure, everything you can taste, touch, smell, feel, experience, is a person. That ultimate reality is personal. Well, that makes sense. I mean, how, <laughs> this, is a, this is a rhetorical, uh, rhetorical question you cannot get around. How could immaterial, or how could material, how could impersonal force create personality? How could the creation be greater and more complex and more interesting and more multidimensional than the creator? Behind all things is 
a personality. See, the philosopher, I remember in my philosophy class in, in my freshman year at, in college, there were all these schools of thought, right? School here, school there, school there. And it's, it's like, okay, they thought this for a while, and then they thought this. And then it's like, you're in this school of thought. And it's like, okay, well, that's good. That was sort of groundbreaking and all that. And then the next school of thought says, no, those people, were, those people didn't know what they were talking about. This is where we are today. And then, and then someone comes along and says, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. And then, and then comes along a whole new school of thought that says, oh, just pick, just pick one. That's, that's where we are today. Just, it doesn't matter. Just pick one. Whatever one makes sense to you. And I remember thinking, what orients all of this? Where's my, where are my bearings in all of this? Where's the foundation? What, 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 what's the center fulcrum of all these different spokes of thought. Well, it's not a what. It's not a how. It's a who. All history, all thought, the past, present, and future come together in a personality. God revealed himself. We're made in the image and nature of God, originally made to reflect God's glory. It's a broken, broken history that we have. And then here comes, how would you expect God to reveal himself if not in the form of a person created in the image and likeness of God? As, as, uh, as Shakespeare said in Hamlet, what is this quintessence of dust, right? Jesus brings the whole picture together. Some time ago, uh, my son, Benjamin, was at school where he is. Um, he, was, he was at a school that won their football game yesterday, uh, uh, as opposed to other, other unnamed teams in the room. Um, I'm just messing with my associate pastor here a little bit. Um, I didn't go to that school, but um, they beat my school, as a matter of fact, so I, I, we, we'll move on. Uh, so... So my son Benjamin, last year, his freshman year, his older sister had, had taken, a, on one of our vacations, he, he, she was trying to take a picture of the mountains. And he jumped in front of the camp, just photobombed her, her shot. Really close up and weird, like wild eye, like the, you know, one eye is huge, you know, and the rest of it is like, and you can sort of see the mountains in the background. Well, everybody forgot about it, of course. Well, Caroline, my, my daughter, took this picture and she turned it, she sent it off and turned it into a puzzle. All right? This big. All right? She turned it into a puzzle. <laughs> I don't know where she, she, she gets this from her mother. Right? This, was, this, was kind of, this was kind of wacky what, what she did. She took, she took 10 pieces at a time and sent it to like a dozen or two different, dozen different friends all across the country and said, send this to, to this address anonymously. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin was so irritated. He knew one of us had done this. And so he, he was trying to figure out who did it and what, what it was for and what was the picture. What was the picture? Because so much of it was just sort of a dark background. He was trying to figure out, I, don't, I can't even put this thing together. I've got no map. I've got no, I've got no concept of what this is. And it was almost in the last few pieces before he realized he's staring into his own face. And Jesus brings it all together to put us back together. God is revealing himself. He's revealing himself 
through the scriptures so that we can see that all of life, all of life comes together into one great waterfall that God is renewing life. You say, well, Tim, I understand the word is Jesus, but we have words, words. So how do I have confidence in the words about the word? Well, that's where we're going next. Jesus' life was witnessed, and not just by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul. Jesus' life was witnessed for millennia, millennia. Before him, after him, and now. Witnessed. Eyewitnesses. Great book by Robert Balcom about Jesus and the eyewitnesses where he goes through the scriptures and he shows, look, this, is, this has all the marks of authenticity. You just can't get around that the scriptures have all the marks of authenticity. That people don't make up, you don't make up stories like this. You can't. You, you can't bring it together the way it comes together. It just had to happen. It, it's the way it was. And, and not only that, not only that, he exposes the, the hyper-skepticism of today that, that discredits anything until, until it's credited <laughs> instead of giving the presumption that people who were there know more about it than we do. But, but let's take a look at not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul, But let's look at millennia of witness to who Jesus is. Verse 9, it says, I mean, verse 7, it says, John came to bear witness. Well, this is contrary. People thought he was Elijah. And part part of what he's doing is he's in a tradition. That that he's he's stepping into a tradition of bearing witness. He's he's bearing witness to a prophet, Hmm? maybe. He's bearing witness in a long line of a tradition that's summarized by Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says this, Long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. John is saying, someone's coming. And just like the Old Testament, thousands of years bore witness to it, I am telling you, he's on the scene. He's here. The, wet, the, the waited, long-awaited Messiah. You know, Augustine puts it this way. He says, he says, in the Old Testament is Jesus, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. Let me give you some examples. These are just some of the obvious examples. I could go on and on. And, and my point is, this, I, I want to give you my point before I tell you these examples. The point is, is the more you dig into the scriptures, the more examples you will find. It doesn't matter where you go. If you peel back the layers, if you understand the context, if you study the history, if you know the flow and the arc of the narrative, if you, if you understand exactly what the author originally intended, you're going to begin to see Jesus emerge in all of the scriptures. Listen to this. Just these few examples. How can a bush be on fire but not consumed? How can something be both, both imminent and transcendent? More to the point, how can Moses be in the presence of God and not? 
be consumed. How can manna come from some unknown place and yet nourish us? How can the blood of the lamb, of a lamb, Passover lamb, marked on the doorway bring salvation? How can those markings bring salvation? How can a man inside of a whale come back to life or be, be, be resurrected, so to speak, to take a message from God to foreign peoples? How can a keystone that the builders were building the archway toward become the cornerstone of a new temple? How can a keystone made to bring the archway together become the chief of the corner? How can God actually tabernacle in our midst? How can he be present as holy in the midst of an unholy people? How can he, what kind of tent can God dwell in? What holy of holies, what, what rent curtain is prefigured in those 40 years of waiting. What did Isaiah mean when he said, by his stripes we are healed? What lamb was promised to Abraham? What lamb was promised to Abraham instead of his son, his only son? And here comes John saying, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse eight. Balcom says this, at the outset of Jesus' ministry, God tore apart the curtain of the heavens in order to come down and be present and active in Jesus. At Jesus' death, he tore apart the curtain in the temple in order to come out and present and active through Jesus, be active through Jesus in the world at large. So you say, okay, well, I, I can see that's a lot of coincidences. What I'm telling you is when you understand who Jesus really is, you see him everywhere in Scripture. The more you dig into the Scriptures, the more the person of Christ, the way he lived, the things he taught, the fact that his teachings were integral and sometimes counterintuitive to our human nature. His teachings, his lifestyle emerges in what was typed in the Old Testament, in what was prefigured, in what was not symbolic, but pointing forward. And you say, well, okay, well, does that mean I, can I have permission to ask some questions? Even though you've made a pretty good case, can I still ask questions? And the answer is yes, of course. Ask questions. <laughs> Please ask questions. But ask questions like this. You know, Kierkegaard said this, that you can ask a question in order to seek, actually seek the meaning. And you know what's in your heart. I, I'm going to ask questions because I really want to find 
the meaning. I'm open to what the real meaning is. I'm open. But some people ask questions like this. They ask questions in order to deconstruct. They ask questions in order to take things apart and leave them apart. They ask questions in order to suck out meaning and leave an emptiness behind. Don't ask questions like that because you've already decided. You want to be your own authority. That's why people ask questions like that. That's why people are persistently skeptical. Chesterton said this. He said, the purpose of an open mind like an open mouth is to close again on something that will nourish you. So let's take a look at how the scriptures represent the bread. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not only that, it is light on our path. Verse nine, the true light had come to everyone, was coming into the world. Here is Jesus. You know, you know that when someone is living what they're saying, it brings light, right? When someone is, is not living according to what they're saying, when they're one person in public and another person in private, when they say one thing to you but they don't show up, when they, when they charge one way but actually, and they tell you that, they're going to, uh, they're, that, that, that you're going to benefit uh, by this percentage but you benefit by another percentage, they're hiding in the darkness. Here is a man whose life brought light. But the idea here isn't that we just follow in his footsteps in order to emulate him. It's not that Jesus was just a good example. It's that he lived in such a way so that in following him, we may experience the presence of God. We may know God. And so not only can the scriptures be trusted because God reveals himself personally, not only can they be trusted because they're witnessed that Jesus, who, through whom everything comes together, is witnessed for millennia, but when you apply this in trust, then you don't just know the scriptures, you know God. Let me say that again. The, the, the reason why we're called to trust the scriptures and not just understand them, but to trust in what God is saying is so that we will experience God through the scriptures and not just the scriptures themselves. It's not Father, Son, and scripture <laughs> that we worship. It's that through the scriptures, through the Bible, through the word of God, we can know God himself when we approach them, step by step, when we apply them, step by step, in trust. Verse nine, the true light was coming into the world. This, this is reminiscent. If you open up the center of the Bible, you'll, you'll probably hit Psalm 119. And at the center of Psalm 119, which is an acrostic, uh, Psalm 119 is an acrostic. That means that, that the beginning of each verse uh, represents a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And at the center of this psalm is this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I was a kid, we used to live in these, we used to, in the summertime, we'd, we'd go to this little family camp and, uh, and we had actual lanterns to, to go to the outhouse. There wasn't a bathroom inside. The, this is an old camp, all right? An old camp. It was fun. Sort of. And uh, so you'd have to, and if you took that lamp and you held it up, you couldn't see a thing, right? You, you, your instinct in this day and age, because with flashlights, 
was to hold it up so you could see down the path. It doesn't work. You have to hold it down here. That's why it says a lamp unto my feet. It's a foot lamp. A foot lamp is designed to help you take the next step. And then the next step. And then the next step. That's the nature of the word. That we're not getting all this information so that like the philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, we can control this information and we can sort of create our own blueprint, which is the original problem that we had in the first place. But that we can go back to the scriptures and trust them step by step by step. You know, I, <laughs> the idea that you through trust in applying the scriptures and then looking backwards and seeing what he did because of your trust and recognizing I'm closer to him as a result. I know God as a result, not just about him, but know him. It makes me think of these videos that, um, that wreck me every time. These videos, someone will send me one of these videos of, of a military family and a reunion. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen these videos where, where the child is in the classroom and here comes mom or dad who's been away for six months or a year and they're surprising them, right? And here comes this incredible moment caught on film of this reunion. The child reunited with the parent is experiencing their childhood. They're experiencing their identity. They're driving up to Pennsylvania Avenue and they're being recognized as a child of God. You see, as a child of the president. It's not that, that you go to the, the scriptures and you have some experience and that it, the experience itself makes you a child of God. It's that, it's that in going to the scriptures, you are experiencing God's presence in your life so that your whole of life begins to become more integrated so that the scriptures begin to inform the way you live and move and have your being. The scriptures, in other words... The way that this relationship with God is described over and over again is as a walk. A walk. To walk in the knowledge of God. How closely are you walking with God? How closely are you walking? Who else is in your ear? Who else is worth pursuing? Who, if you think of all the people in all the world, in all the cultures, in all time and place, who is worth following? Not just an example, but to be so close that you get the dust off the sandals of the rabbi. Over the next weeks, let's take a look at the ways that God makes himself known. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the ways you've already made yourself known. The ways that Jesus walked in our midst. The ways that mysteriously we look at the scriptures and have no reasonable explanation for this confluence of a life. This one solitary life. Here's a man who never wrote a book or led an army. A man who was never 
truly king in any sense of the world. But a man who continues to inspire us today. Father, would you help us to trust in your word? The word made flesh. The word witnessed the word, trusted and experienced. In Jesus' name, amen.